And welcome once again to Father Spitzer's Universe at the busy intersection of faith and reason. I'm Doug Keck, your guide. And of course, your email questions are so important to us for this program. Spitzer's Universe, one word at EW10.com is the place to send them. Check out Father Spitzer's websites, the Magic Center website.com, of course, and then CredibleCatholic.com and PurposefulUniverse.com. And of course, all of Father Spitzer's programs are, of course, available on our on-demand channel, at least all of our programs that we do together. And we've added some additional ones, including a new program called Thou Shalt Love, a documentary on the life and ministry of Cardinal Stefan Vizinski to our uh, on-demand page. A really wonderful, wonderful documentary reminds you what the church is like when it's really being oppressed. I think we're coming into new days like that here as well, unfortunately, in the United States. Our show topic, Satan customizes his temptations. That's right, he's doing customization these days. And from Father's book, Christ vs. Satan in Our Daily Lives, available naturally through the EW10 Religious Catalog, but we assume you're, in, you're probably reading it for the second time at this point. And Book of the Month for June, Catholic Essentials, A Guide to Understanding Key Church Teachings. Who else but Father Wade Menezes? People love his homilies. Check that out, of course, through Religious Catalog. And we turn now and welcome Father Spitzer. And if you would, Father, great to see you. If you'll lead us in prayer to kick things off, that'd be wonderful. Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your many blessings to us, the blessing especially of this ministry, our capacity to serve in it. We ask you to send your Holy Spirit down upon us now, Doug, myself, our whole audience this day, so that everything we do and say will be brought to fruition in your will for the good of your people, your church, and your kingdom. Please bless the world meeting of families and uh, the safety of our crew in it. And please bless all that we endeavor to your kingdom through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. And Mary, seat of wisdom, pray Glory for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And of course, uh, as we're doing this program, we're still waiting on the Supreme Court, especially about the, the Dobbs case that uh, affects Roe v. Wade. But there was a, 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 a case that was resolved and a uh, decision came out uh, this past Tuesday. The Supreme Court ruled 6-3 that Maine's policy barring students in a student aid program from using their aid to attend sectarian schools, in other words, could be a Catholic school, violates the Free mm -hmm. Exercise Clause of the First Amendment. Uh, I think uh, Judge Roberts said, uh, Having chosen to fund private schools through this program, Maine cannot disqualify some private schools solely because they are religious. Uh, Maine's decision to continue excluding religious schools from its tuition assistance program promotes stricter separate of church and state than the federal constitution requires. And again, uh, though it's mm -hmm. a specific ruling having to do with, uh, you know, uh, places where there aren't uh, high schools and other church, uh, other schools available in Maine, mm -hmm. it does have a wider impact, doesn't it, on the idea of aid related to, uh, and certainly from a Catholic school perspective, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. It could uh, become a more general principle uh, that might be applied since it is a Supreme Court precedent mm. uh, in cases uh, beyond uh, simply the state of Maine and could uh, actually uh, uh, be applied elsewhere. So yes, it mm. it really could have an effect, uh, and it could be used as a precedent. And in as much as that's the case, yeah, it could right. could really uh, uh, really uh, change the atmosphere for uh, uh, f uh, funding 
uh, using uh, some federal funds uh, for uh, right. for private schools and further empowering parents really with their children deciding yeah. where they want their kids yeah. educated and where their tax money should be spent people keep forgetting that the money yeah. that we're spending here is coming from the people living in the district who are paying for the school and education Another Correct. thing that's uh, obviously out there, we talked a little bit about the decision not coming down on Roe, but uh, we've mm -hmm. seen and we talked about on, on our, our prior programs the idea of some of the anti-Catholic things we've seen happen over, I know the USCCB yeah. put out almost 150 kind of events and now we're seeing in the last month or so attacks and threats from uh, Jane's Revenge, I believe, it's the name of the group, yeah. one of the groups. Uh, yeah about attacking uh, you know, pregnancy centers, and this story I thought was mm -hmm. interesting. Firebomb New York Pregnancy Center facing investigation for not offering abortion services. So here you have uh, <laughs> a clinic in New wow. York, a clinic in New that York. Actually... Right, this is a story. This is in Babylon B, okay? Uh, what yeah. it is, they, they, uh, they wait to find out because they were firebombed, you know, what happened to it. They're facing an investigation of the clinic because of the New York uh, governor, Kathy Huckle, signed into law on June 13th, authorized the state commissioner's health currently to conduct an in-depth study of pro-life pregnancy centers like Compass Care, the one that was bombed, that don't provide abortion services. Of course, Kathy Huckle is, uh, is a proclaimed Catholic. Uh, the gentleman who yeah. runs it, the CEO, who I think was featured on Raymond's show recently, uh, Jim Harden told uh, our Catholic news agency, that's the article this is based on, that the state wants him to turn over information on their donors, patients, service processes, affiliates, and more. Meanwhile, no arrests have been made in the June 7 firebombing of vandalism in the clinic. Uh, so the, the big problem isn't uh, the fact of who decided to uh, blow up the clinic, but whether there's false advertising, apparently. Oh, no. I mean, this is clearly a case of justice will not be served by the, the justice, the branch, uh, that's uh, the judiciary branch, which is, uh, you know, uh, given the task of uh, giving justice, you know. So, I mean, we're not going to get any justice out of this. The bias is so clear from the top all the way down to its bottom. So, I mean, I think we just have to be resigned uh, to, first of all, um, you know, take a kind of guerrilla tactic in this, uh, you know, atmosphere that we're, uh, we're dealing with. And I think the atmosphere is uh, uh, one of such bias and such, uh, you know, exclusion of certain groups like Catholic groups, like pro-life mm -hmm. groups, from any kind of justice under the law that uh, we're going to really have to... Uh, uh, demand it in other ways. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to use our own publicity in other ways. And you can see how we're going to be driven uh, to use certain kinds of media like, uh, uh, you know, a TikTok or a Twitter to try and uh, get uh, some, you know, people in motion to do things. And we're going to have to file mm -hmm. lawsuits. And, um, you know, this is the way it's going to be just to get justice. So, I mean, I mean, we're talking about criminal justice here, right? right. We're not talking about getting, you know, winning a, a, a tort, you know, uh, mm -hmm. a civil lawsuit. <laughs> we're talking about criminal justice. And uh, I think New York has already shown its stripes. It has no intention of doing that. It's going to delay investigations, et cetera, that, that concern, you know, Catholic establishments or pro-life establishments. It's uh, uh, coming right uh, down the uh, the line and is coming from some proclaimed uh, Catholics. Uh, really uh, bizarre, um, the, the world we're living in. But uh, I just right. think let's, you know, uh, hunker down. 
and uh, let's uh, uh, use uh, really uh, uh, you know good tactics, effective tactics that are not violent, mm -hmm. but those that will at least uh, force those who are in charge of bringing justice under the law to do their jobs and to try uh, with all their might uh, to be impartial on the adjudication right. process. And I, and I think to get stories like this out there, because there's so many stories that people have oh, yeah. where they just, they, their mouth is agape because they're like, you're yeah. kidding, what? And, yeah. and realize this kind of <laughs> nonsense is going on and it's your taxpayer's yeah. money that's spending, you know, spending uh, and paying for these yeah. ridiculous investigations. Here's oh, another yeah. story, uh, Life Without Father. Uh, I remember there was a play called Life With Father. This is apparently Life Without yeah. Father. Uh, it's from, it's Institute for Family Studies that is study, and some of the highlights I wanted to throw mm -hmm. past you. Young men who grew up with their biological father are more than twice as likely to graduate college by their late 20s compared to those raised without their biological father. Also, young men who did not grow up with their biological father are significantly more likely to be idle in their mid-20s. And young men mm -hmm. who did not grow up with their father in the home are about twice as likely to have been spent time in jail by the age of 30. Yeah, that's right. Uh, these statistics have been sort of brewing out there for quite a while. And uh, fathers really do matter. And um, they not only matter, but their participation in the family. The more time the father uh, participates in the family, the more likely it is that the son is going to not only graduate from college, but maybe even from uh, graduate school or other kinds of things, uh, that he's going to be more professionally developed, that he's not going to be a criminal. And um, uh, so I think even, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the more time, I think you can establish that pretty clearly, that the father is present uh, uh, in the household, the better off, right. um, especially the young men, uh, the boys, the young men are going to be. Right. I think the other thing, too, um, just from a religious vantage point, is there's several studies that have been now uh, done now that, that show mm -hmm. that uh, fathers uh, who participate in religion with their children, um, those children are much more likely, mm -hmm. like, you know, more than two times more likely to participate in religious services, to pray, to do whatever it was mm -hmm. that their fathers did. Now you might say, well, doesn't it, you know, wouldn't it just be good enough for the mothers to do it? Mm -hmm. Apparently not. Mm -hmm. It would seem like it should be so, but in point of fact, um, the children do turn to the father uh, to look for the example of what they're going to do um, in their lives going forward. Mm -hmm. And so um, whatever the, it is that causes kids seemingly uh, universally to do this, um, I think it's really important that fathers not only participate in the family, mm -hmm. but participate in their religious services with the family uh, and not be, you know, um, at home doing something else. Right. I think that uh, that's going to make a huge, huge difference right. uh, to that child's success, that child's uh, determination to be a good religious ethical practitioner uh, himself or herself. Right. I think we've heard statistics before that it, the great indicator of children continuing to uh, participate in their faith is whether the father participates yep. when they're growing up, right? Yeah, much, much more than the mother. Yes, that right, is exactly. true. And a couple other comments from here. The Institute of Family Studies Research brief details the connections between fatherlessness, family structure, and increasing number of young men who are floundering in life and pose a threat to themselves in their communities because it's not just that these poor young 
people uh, have their own problems, but they spread those problems into their communities, oh, yeah. as we see. And yeah. also they talk about the gender gap in high school, that you're really talking, we spend a lot of time talking about women's education, but the women are doing much better than the guys are doing. And they say there's a, with, the, with a fatherless uh, male, you're not, you have the gender gap in high school, including suspensions and graduation that uh, mm -hmm. for men who do not marry, uh, end up in married families compared to boys who did. These are, so it has a big mm -hmm. impact. Oh yeah, the, the marriage rate across the country is impacted by it. But again, uh, the, the, the male child's uh, main motivation when they are younger uh, to be disciplined about their education, to see education as a good thing, because right, they don't have that future vision of what that e education is going to do for them. Uh, they basically are imitating their fathers. And if there's no father uh, to imitate, or the father doesn't say anything good about education, how education is freeing, how education will teach you the possibilities, how education is going to enable you to do more, not just uh, to earn a good income, but to do more in society, to be a leader in society. Don't you want to be a leader in society? And of course, if this is not reinforced by the father uh, to the male child, it, 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 I have to tell you, the, mm -hmm. that little boy is probably going to founder in some right. way or another. The mm -hmm. other thing I, I think I've read in some other studies, I didn't see it directly in there, but a reference to the fact that the physicality, when you have a, a, a male in the family, the father, mm -hmm. Obviously, he is mm -hmm. more of a physical presence, especially with a boy, in making yeah. sure that he obeys his mom or obeys the family rules, yeah. right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I mean, how many times have I seen, you know, uh, uh, you know, the mother go to the door, okay, children, come in for dinner. Go to the door a third, second time, third time, okay, children, come in for dinner. And then the father just goes to the door and goes, hey! <laughs> That's it. <laughs> They're running in. <laughs> there's, there's, uh, there's something there. There's no doubt. You know, it's that. That's that's the yin and the mm -hmm. it's, You know, right. that's the beauty of life. Right. That's it's the beauty of marriage. It's the, the beauty of a mom right? and a dad and the right. complimentarity. Exactly. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, and also, the this voice of command. <laughs> there's another study that I had from Weekly <laughs> Institute. Uh, and they talk about fathers today playing a greater role in children's lives and how important that is, as we just talked about. But here they were talking about something different. They were talking about parents' use of social media. They said specifically mm -hmm. about 10% of teens are depressed when their parent uses social media at a low level compared to nearly 40% of teens who are depressed when their parents are using social media at a higher level meaning that adolescents are nearly four times as likely to be depressed if their parents are high-level social media users. Study found that teenagers are frustrated by their parents' social media use, noting it as a distraction. They go on to say, if children feel like their parents invalidate their experiences by being less than present in the moment, it has a negative impact. Absolutely. Again, presence is everything. Mm -hmm. And we've lost this sense uh, that empathy matters, right? I mean, it used to be almost instinctive. I think parents knew that if, you know, they were present to their children, if they're listening to their children, if they're doing things with their children, that the child is obviously going to be emotionally stabilized by that presence. Mm -hmm. But if, the, you know, if the mom or the dad is constantly picking up the phone, 
texting somebody, doing something, you know, looking at something, talking, you know, to the other parent about, oh, you know, this thing, uh, we, we didn't uh, score this much or we don't have these many likes, you know, <laughs> or whatever it is. And, of course, now the kids have been moved, not just down, you know, obviously if a kid is first place in the parent's attention zone jointly, that kid's going to be emotionally stable. But if you all of a sudden get moved down to the second place and then third place and then finally, you know, I just don't have time for you anymore. You guys, uh, you know, you, you can get some stuff out of the refrigerator, throw her in the microwave. You know, I, I'm too busy with my social media account here. Right. You know, tell your kids. You can basic, <coughs> tell your yeah. kids to sign up to your fans only account and then. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We could do a comedy on this, Doug, I'm telling you. But, but unfortunately, it's so real in the culture that, uh, you know, uh, it's, uh, uh, you can tell. Again, we're going to have big emotional health issues going forward. And so I, I think our kids face so many challenges they didn't face. And still, we're letting these things mount up. We're not, as a culture, facing them all. Mm -hmm. There's very high divorce rate that's going on this exceedingly high depression rate that's going on, the social media use by both the children and the parents that's really, uh, uh, you know, raising, increasing significantly the depression and anxiety rates uh, that are going on. And, of course, uh, the absenteeism of the fathers and the family. There's a whole you know, a perfect storm. Uh, coming down the pike for a large segment of our culture. It's not the whole culture. Uh, there are a lot of really stable, good, um, you know, uh, religiously participative and education-oriented families out mm -hmm. there. So you, you can see that, uh, you know, uh, uh, that uh, there is a huge segment of our mm -hmm. culture, a, a vast majority of which uh, participate in religious ceremonies to some extent mm -hmm. uh, and are very, you know, interested in um, education uh, uh, to another, uh, to a, a high degree. Those, that group of people who are religiously and educationally oriented, uh, they're going to still be in a very a much, much higher uh, you know, emotional health bracket, you know, much less depression, anxiety, antisocial impulsivity, mm -hmm. aggressivity, and, and um, uh, you know, substance abuse, familial tensions, and suicides. Mm -hmm. So you can pretty much be sure um, that uh, this is going to be a very healthy element of society, and then there's going to be a very unhealthy, uh, you know, dimension of society, and that is related uh, in many ways to fatherly issues as well as educational religious issues because, again, the father's influence in ethics, morality, in kind of coming to a, a, a moral norm as well as a religious practice, mm -hmm. uh, the father's influence is going to be very, very important indeed. So, when you, you, you know, you can have a triple perfect, um, you know, a storm and you can have a triple mm -hmm. uh, a perfect heaven, as it were, um, you know, just depending on those three uh, elements and you know if the father's committed to high ethics and religious practice there's religious practice in the family there's educational orientation in the family that part of the culture is going to do real well mm -hmm. and there's going to be another part of the culture which I, I hate to say it it's 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 it's, it's darkening and uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know how do you stop it because if you try and stop it if you make mm -hmm. suggestions is a you know, religious practice wouldn't be a bad idea. Mm -hmm. You know, having the father participate wouldn't mm -hmm. be a bad idea. You are going to get a kick 
right back right, at you, right, right. you know, that is, is going to uh, basically say, you have no right uh, to talk about this. You know, everybody has a right to do their own thing, you know, and so forth and so on. Well, so You, you uh, have again, a right to be wrong, too, you know, and uh, the fact yeah. that you have a right to do something <laughs> doesn't mean that it's going to be okay, you know. I mean, free, yeah. free will allows you yeah. to do some horrible things, you know and to yep. suffer the effects of those horrible things when they happen to yep. you. One last thing before yeah. we uh, get to some questions, but to follow up on what we just talked mm -hmm. about, and I'm sure you heard about the Gallup poll that came out that said in the latest yeah. values and beliefs survey, Gallup found that belief in God in the United States has fallen to 81%, a new low, and that liberals, mm -hmm. young people, and Democrats are least likely to believe in God. Uh, and it talks mm -hmm. about how uh, back in the 40s and 60s, a consistent 98% said they believed in God. Uh, they say belief in God is the mm -hmm. highest among political conservatives, about 94%, Republicans 92%, reflecting that religiosity is a major determinant of political divisions in the, in the U.S., kind of an interesting thing. Mm -hmm. They also point mm -hmm. out, though, and this is interesting for the church, and while belief in God has declined in recent years, Gallup has documented steeper drops in church attendance, church membership and confidence in organized religion, suggesting that the practice of religious faith may be changing more than basic faith in God. Your thoughts? Well, I do think uh, the latter is a true statistic today. Um, you know, that religious faith is, uh, you know, pr religious practice is dropping faster than belief in God. But there was always a pretty big gap between people who claimed they believed in God and people who had, you know, who were practicing their religion at least a few times per year. Mm -hmm. Now, here, post-COVID, though, this is throwing every, these statistics very far off. I think, you know, the, uh, the suspension of church services uh, during COVID times uh, has really led to a significant decline um, in religious practice. So I got to take a look at what the, the last date was. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it was last year sometime that the Gallup poll stopped their tracking in order to do their statistical analysis. And that was right in the middle of COVID. Mm -hmm. So I think that that statistic might... It needs to be modified a little bit after, uh, you know, the religious practices resumed after COVID. And frankly, around here, uh, you know, the, the, the you know, uh, uh, the Christ, Christ Cathedral and other mm -hmm. places, I'm really seeing a big resurgence. Mm -hmm. uh, this is purely anecdotal, of course. Mm -hmm. It's not any significant survey, but uh, but um, I am seeing a big increase in uh, religious service attendance. Um, you know, a lot of people are going for adult education. You know, back to you know, uh, Saturday mm -hmm. stuff and Sunday, um, you know, talks, things of that nature. So it's uh, it's really picking mm -hmm. up uh, around here. So I'd say let's wait a year, see where the religious service, uh, uh, you know, attendance is at that time, and then maybe track it again. But there's no question um, we have uh, reached an all-time low in belief in God in this country, mm -hmm. um, all-time low. 81% uh, is uh, really quite shocking mm -hmm. for absolutely no belief whatsoever. So, uh, you know, atheism has really uh, taken over in many ways. And I don't have to tell anybody, young people are the big part of that statistical change. Right. right. right? The elderly people, uh, people who are middle-aged, are not making a big statistical change. Young people are causing that statistical change. And um, so we've got to get to our young people. We have to give them the evidence for God, the soul, and Jesus, the, especially the science-based evidence 
for God, the soul, and Jesus. Uh, something we're trying to do at the Maja Center. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we have all kinds of resources at CredibleCatholic.com to do that. I've got, again, two big books coming out uh, from Ignatius, Science at the Doorstep to God and Science at the Doorstep to Christ, and um, uh, trying to give that science-based evidence uh, for God, the soul, Jesus, and even Mary and the Holy Eucharist. Uh, so it's uh, a lot of uh, really interesting stuff. Right, and, right. Uh, um, you know, uh, I, I think what we have to do, though, is get it to the kids. When they get it, it really changes their minds, changes their hearts. Right, right. And, of course, they're both intellectually big books and physically big books, so uh, we, we can... <laughs> well, let's, not too bad. Not hey, too bad. Uh, you know, this, these are 300 pagers, so I, I, I really restrained myself. Right. I mean... <laughs> well, you, have a, you probably had an addendum for your notes. Uh, so, yeah. uh, so, so let's get to some questions before we have to go to the break. Uh, dear Father Spitzer, I work for a rather large company that recently sent out an email about Pride Month and the events activities that my employer will be sponsoring. The email encourages all to participate, also boasts an employer 150% match for charitable donations to LGBTQ charities. Uh, we're not forced to participate or donate, but I and others still feel pressured. What can I say to my employer, Angela? Well, Angela, uh, you know, there's, you know, we're living in a woke business world right now. Um, I think, you know, at this point, employees are much more vulnerable um, than vendors and customers. Mm -hmm. And I think where the backlash is going to come uh, for businesses, they don't think the backlash is going to come, but it's going to come. It's going to come from the customer area. And it's going to come like uh, the backlash at uh, Disney in mm -hmm. Florida, where finally enough is enough is enough. And uh, I'm not sure how much Disney stock went down by, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Disney stock went down by nearly 50% mm -hmm. uh, after that big fiasco. Because, uh, uh, you know, what, what is the, uh, the idea of having this, you know, a business supporting right. and, and putting their whole, uh, you know, uh, ethos on the line for teaching first to third graders right. about transgenderism? You gotta be kidding me. So, I mean, uh, I mean, Disney's so, you know, woked out uh, that, um, you know, I think they, they really did lose uh, a great deal of uh, capitalization right. uh, potential. They, I think they lost a, uh, you know, a, you know, pretty, uh, you know, a good deal of their, their well, stock their price. Bra their brand yeah. has been so tarnished. Oh, yeah. You talk about oh, yeah. having a brand that's worth how many billions of dollars. Yeah, in, into yeah. itself having been yeah. damaged and the recent uh, release of Buzz Lightyear which was supposed to be this big yeah. big hit has been taken a bath yeah oh yeah no I think honestly uh, I think Disney is uh, gonna get enough of that you know uh, uh, you know whiplash that uh, eventually some of its stockholders are gonna say hey mm. uh, you guys over there in the management area uh, you, you may think you're in charge 
But I think we need a new president here. Mm -hmm. I think we need a new new management. Uh, our stock price matters to us. Right. Uh, this is what we put into our portfolios, and we're trusting that you're not going to be undermining our culture, but doing something good for our culture. Who wants to own stock in a company that is basically like you know <laughs> undermining uh, you know the the young people of the culture and mm -hmm. and you know visibly supporting it? And uh, I think people can start voting with their feet. Absolutely. Don't invest in companies that do this. And if you have invested in them, use your stock shares to vote against these kinds of activities. Right. And I think what happens as it gets pushed back, that encourages others to push back. And it makes it easier for other yeah. people to say, well, I don't, have to, I don't have to roll over here because I'm getting support. Yeah. Uh, which is what yeah. I think people are seeing. Uh, one other question before we go to the break, uh, along the same lines. Dear Father Spitzer, there is a man who attends Mass at a parish, at my parish, who comes dressed mm -hmm. as a woman. One can obviously tell he's a man. How do I explain this to my six-year-old son who has been asking questions about this? Alex. Well, um, boy, I'll tell you. Um, I haven't really thought about this, mm -hmm. Alex. I am. Um, um, I, I mean, the best thing probably uh, to do is to just say, well, that person is uh, struggling with uh, uh, his identity and, um, mm -hmm. you know, um, we'll just say a prayer for that mm -hmm. person um, or something like that. Right. I, I wouldn't try and get any more explanatory because uh, your son right now, if he's six years old, doesn't have the ability to understand what's going on here. So I think that the best thing to do probably is just say, he's struggling with his identity and, you know, there are, you know, certain reasons that this happens, but, mm -hmm. you know, I certainly wouldn't go into the typical reasons identified, right. um, you know, in the, in, you know, in like the Johns Hopkins, uh, two professors there, they, they did a study, um, you know, that basically said that, uh, what, 50% um, have been um, uh, sexually or physically abused, mm -hmm. uh, that 50% uh, um, uh, or more um, had uh, significant anxiety uh, in the household uh, that uh, uh, generally one of the children identified uh, with as the cause of the anxiety. And in many cases, there were encouragements on the part of the parents to do this in order mm -hmm. to, you know, kind of have the kids solve the the acting out and the depression right. Right. Uh, anxieties. So, I mean, all of these things, um, you know, are things that are way above what a six-year-old right. can understand. So I just say, let's pray for him, um, you know, that he can find out right. his uh, identity or something and just leave it at right. that. Right. Like you said, don't, don't overthink your answers. Like one time I remember yeah. on the Dick Van Dyke show, the kid asked about where babies come from. And they're trying to figure out how to explain it. And he says, well, I thought it came from the hospital, Mom. So uh, anyway, you know, I mean, it's like in his mindset, that was, uh, it was a pretty simple yeah. answer he was looking for, like you just suggested. Yeah. Much more yeah. with Father Spitzer when we return. More questions from you. <laughs> Stay with us.
And we thank you for staying with us for part two of Father Spitzer's Universe. Satan customizes his temptations in this program from Fathers with Christ versus Satan in our daily lives. I think Satan is customizing a lot of things these days in the society yeah, yeah. we're, de we're de dealing with, some of them we just <laughs> talked about. But here's another question, kind of an interesting concept. Uh, Dear Father Spitzer, chemical contraceptives have been widely available since the 1960s. Women have been able yep. to delay or prevent pregnancy, which I believe helped blur the lines between the roles of men and women. Do you think this blurring of the roles of men and women has contributed to the gender confusion that is so prevalent in society today? And this is Zoe. Well, Zoe, that is a really good thought, and I haven't thought about it before. Yeah, right, right. So um, I'd have to say that, uh, uh, you know, as I, uh, you know, consider it, I, I know that uh, contraception really broke down the natural bond between sexuality and commitment, mm -hmm. so that sexuality became an end in itself, independently of emotional intimacy and commitment. Mm -hmm. So that was a problem of huge nature. I mean, and that's why, you know, the minute you had birth control, you know, you'd think, well, <clears throat> you know, why would rapes go up? Well, if before uh, you identified sexuality with, uh, you know, there's emotional intimacy tied in with uh, sexuality and there's commitment tied up with emotional intimacy, well, if you had that association very naturally, uh, the idea of just, you know, using sex as an end in itself would mm -hmm. hardly occur to you. But if you separate it, which birth, artificial birth control clearly does, <clears throat> then all of a sudden sexuality becomes much, much more an end in itself, mm -hmm. in which case you begin to have that same thing. Well, I can get as much alcohol as I want. Why can't I get as much sex as I want? And, of course, unfortunately, another partner has to be involved in getting mm -hmm. as much sex as you want. So, uh, you know, you can expect that, you know, a sort of a heartlessness about sex, a kind of a narcissism and egocentricity about sex is going to come right into the picture. Mm -hmm. And you can see that, you know, of course rapes are going to go up. And, and I think uh, right now uh, uh, isn't the, the uh, incidence of rape since the 1960s, uh, isn't it up like, uh, forget what it is, like 500 percent or mm -hmm. somewhere in the neighborhood of five times mm -hmm. what it was. And so you think, wow, that's over, you know, six, 60 years, you know, mm -hmm. it's almost like this thing's going up. Uh, a uh, hundred percent a year almost. Mm -hmm. And so it's pretty shocking, uh, actually, um, that it's happened, but not surprising when you look at the you know, separation of commitment from, uh, and emotional intimacy from mm -hmm. sexuality. But another byproduct could be you know, that maybe you know, sexuality has no real um, dimension of fertility uh, no real dimension of parenthood. Mm -hmm. Maybe there is, you know, again, divorcing it from family, from parenthood, from the idea of having the responsibility of giving rise to a child, mm -hmm. uh, which is an awesome responsibility, which, you know, used to cause a great deal of emotional maturity and reconciliation to oneself. Um, all of a sudden, you know, you don't have to think about that anymore uh, if you are open to getting, you know, abortions, chemical abortions, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, mm -hmm. All of a sudden, you might just, you know, instead of looking at sex as 
Well, there's an awesome responsibility around this of parenthood and all these kinds of things, of family, of, of bringing a child into the world and, and things of that nature. Uh, suddenly, you might be able to sort of think, well, sexuality is just for pleasure, and maybe, you know, uh, I, I'd be feel more, um, you know, fulfilled, uh, which is another word for, you know, more... Um, you know, uh, as Christopher Lash would call it, narcissistically oriented pleasure, mm -hmm. right? You know, I'd feel more fulfilled if I were of a different gender. Uh, I could see maybe how that would creep in, but certainly mm -hmm. the idea of sexuality having responsibility uh, tied to it, um, you know, that huge, um, you know, factor that you'd have to consider in this day and age, it's just not there. Mm -hmm. And so you can pretty much treat sexuality not only as an end in itself, but just as, you know, another one of my, of these uh, play, ways of getting narcissistic uh, gratification and, you know, this uh, nice sexual pleasure for, you know, uh, you know, it's just uh, something in my toolbox of pleasures. Mm -hmm. And uh, I could see how, you know, you know, it might might open the door a little bit, but uh, how you'd actually directly correlate it, I, I don't see that, to be honest with you, Zoe. Um, but I do see some indirect correlations, possibly. Right. Okay, very good. Let's move on uh, to uh, the book, if we can, right now, uh, mm -hmm. and talking about Satan's tactics on page 214. And... Uh, you talk about the idea of low-hanging fruit uh, uh, for the evil one, people mm -hmm. who are long-term converts to self-destructive way of life. That has to do with, uh, you know, mm -hmm. w where they are level-wise, right? Yeah, right. So let's suppose person who's been in level one and level two conduct for a long period of time, uh, the evil spirit really just does have a field day with them because they are so habituated to that egocentric satisfaction, to that, uh, which is level two, or that maybe that pleasure, whatever it is, uh, could be alcohol, could be like, you know, satisfaction of greed or, you know, material pleasures or whatever it could be, uh, could be sexuality, whatever it is that you're, you're looking for. But the, the main thing is, is if you're really, really habituated to something, uh, you know, you can just ask anybody in Alcoholics Anonymous, right? Mm -hmm. You really need a great deal of support to get you at least through the initial transition years. And a lot of people stay with AA for a lifetime mm -hmm. uh, because they just really need the support. It's so addictive. It's so, you know, it grows on you. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, you can turn back to it. You know, the minute you get tired, uh, the minute right. you get discouraged about life, it, you know, and then the evil spirit just pours in with the familiar old temptations, right? And and uh, you think, my gosh, I've made no progress, right. you know, and then he's, you know, he batters you for being discouraged. And uh, so he definitely, um, uh, you're at a disadvantage uh, the longer you sort of live the 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 lifestyle but the main thing to remember is let's suppose you change your mind after you've been doing this for 20 30 years right uh, kind of having a, a, a you know a licentious lifestyle or just a, a crazy uh, you know level one or level two lifestyle and let's suppose that um, uh, you decide you're gonna uh, turn around at this point in your life mm -hmm. um, you know it's very obvious uh, that when you do that um, you're going to need help. 
And the help is the sacraments. The help is your church community. The help is getting to a habitual prayer life uh, that you can start, even if it's just 15 minutes a day. You know, but the main thing is that you have something consistent. And daily mass would be very important, in my view, to make time for that because that keeps you on the road. And it uh, not only keeps you on the road, but that frequent confession. It keeps you on the road. And having friends who belong to your church, who you associate with, keeps you on the road. So it's like your own little religious AA. You know, you're, you're, you've got that support uh, in the church that enables you to break with it. But it's still, even still, if you get really tired or really discouraged or something's happening in your life, you're feeling, above, you know, kind of, you know, everything's loaded on top of you, you can revert. But then if you've got the habit of going to Mass and going to confession, mm -hmm. you can swing back in a hurry. So the main thing is if you do fall prey mm -hmm. uh, to getting bombarded with temptations and then you fall prey to them, you can, you know, quickly swing back. You can mm -hmm. quickly, uh, you know, get back into those habits. You know, definitely you will have, believe me, uh, contrition for your sins. But don't listen to the evil spirit because the evil spirit will definitely, like, let's suppose you are really making some progress for about eight months and blammo, you get back into something again and you start feeling, you know, the evil spirit's just going to go, see, you're worthless, right? You haven't made any uh, progress in all these you know, months. You know, you know, give up. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean if, right, if after right. giving this up for eight months, and now you go right back to it, just look at you, you're swimming in it. You know, what, what's the point? Mm -hmm. You know that's the evil spirit, and resist him and go back right. to your religious practice that you have been building up. The person who builds the house on rock is the one that's going to do well, and the rock is the sacraments, and frequent sacraments like Holy Communion and um, like a sacrament of reconciliation. And it's also getting your friends adjusted so that you have those religiously oriented friends or you're doing some activities through your church. Mm -hmm. um, and you are also, you've got some kind of a 15 minute prayer life, anything going that you can actually get before the Lord and just be with mm -hmm. him uh, very closely. So all those things, if you put those three things into practice, sacraments the prayer and the your friends uh, uh you should you'll swing back uh, so right. you just got to keep hacking away at it but build good habits build on rock right. and not on sand speaking of three you also talk about three virtues prudence temperance and fortitude yep. and yep. it's interesting mm -hmm. too because those come as you say in a sense from being a part of a church and uh, having a faith perspective but those also especially prudence and temperance I mean fortitude kind of is a middle of the road one but the other two are are looked down as negative things virtually in our society today oh yeah temperance and fortitude absolutely yeah, yeah. I mean yeah prudence doesn't have yet a bad rap it it basically means wisdom in in many senses uh, but uh, uh, temperance is that ability to withhold 
passion mm -hmm. uh, when you need to withhold it. And let's face it, our passions can be very much engaged in this culture, which is just stimulus-driven, right? You, everywhere you, you turn on the uh, Internet, you walk down the street, you know, and so forth and so on. There's stimuli everywhere, absolutely everywhere. And so uh, even in the workplace, you stimuli everywhere. So the main thing is, you know, that idea of temperance is to just be able to just quietly within your own mind say, no. Uh, this is just not commensurate with the Lord I love. Uh, this is not commensurate with the Lord who's given me everything. This is not commensurate with where I want to go. This is just self-destructive. Forget about this. But you don't even have to go through that inner dialogue. You, you know already what it all means. So you're just, it's a quiet ability. You know what you're about. So when you say no, you're really saying no, even though your passions are engaged. You're saying no because it's beneath you. You're saying no because it's going to upset everything you love and stand for. Mm -hmm. and, and so that's that ability of temperance, that empowered no, you know, because you know what you're about. You know what you're standing for. That is a really important virtue. And it takes practice and it takes knowing what you're about. But if you do it enough, you're going to have that quiet no. You're like, you know, St. Thomas More, you know, and, uh, you know, everybody's coming after him and doing this and that. And he just goes, no. <laughs> I mean, he knows. And then, of course, there's fortitude. And that includes two things. It really includes a stick-to-itness and courage. So, uh, you know, the idea of stick-to-itness, this is the ability when you know, things just don't go right most of the, you know, perfectly right most of the time. So you, you say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get this college degree or I'm going to, uh, you know, uh, marry this woman, have, uh, you know, these nice family and kids and so forth. I'm going to have this job and I'm going to do whatever. So you make some plan mm -hmm. and, of course, you're trying to stick to it. But you know there are going to be obstacles along the way. Heck, you can't even, you know, um, uh, you know, move toward a goal in your workplace and not have a million problems and obstacles come up. So what's stick to itness? It's just when you get to the problem, instead of going, I give up, or I don't want to do this anymore, stick to itness is that sort of internal, you know, belief in the goal that you have. It's not really just People say it's stubbornness. It, it's more than, it might be some stubbornness, but it's also really that love of the goal. That, you know, here's a noble goal. This is worth pursuing. I'm not going to give this up just because this obstacle happened or this person did this. I'm not giving up. I'm going to figure out a way to get around this, mm -hmm. or I'm going to figure out a fallback plan, and then I'm going to approach it from this angle rather than from that angle, and so forth and so on. So the, the main thing is you, you kind of have that ability to move around things agilely, to go over things, but above all, you know the nobility of your goal, and you're going to stick with it and get to it because it's worth it. Mm -hmm. That's something worthy of you. It's worthy of spending time on. It will define you. It'll be part of your legacy.
The other part is courage. Mm -hmm. So stick to itness and courage. So fortitude also, you know, you're going to be opposed sometimes. Right. And so you have to say, okay, I'm president of this university. And I think I better, you know, do this because it's a Catholic university and I can't allow Planned Parenthood to be coming here, greatest abortion provider in the world. Right. Now, I know this is going to cost me. I'll be in every paper tomorrow morning. Mm -hmm. Now, let me see what I'm going to do. The first thing you got to do, the courageous person knows, I got to know what I've got to do. So that's the first thing. It's not, the first thing is not, let me consult everybody and ask them first. No, you really, the good leader thinks about what's the good thing. Mm -hmm. What am I responsible for? What am I supposed to do? Right? All the dis determinations of prudence, right? So you, you, you have to know yourself, know your values, know what you are responsible for doing in this position of leadership and responsibility. Then if you have a pretty good idea, then come in and now listen to people. You know, but hmm. first you have to do the work inside yourself. You have to have some conviction toward the goals and some ap appropriation of, you're the leader of you know, the organization. Mm -hmm. You have to have some sense of where, you know, the, the best way for this organization to proceed. Now you could modify it because you're getting some information right. uh, from somebody. You could sometimes change your mind altogether, but at least you started off not by kind of you know, uh, wandering in the darkness and asking everybody around, mm -hmm. but you sort of had, you were, you had a light, a beacon toward which you were oriented. You could change your mind by consulting with people. You should consult with people, but you should also have a sense of your own mind, your own heart, your own principles, your own ideals, and what you are responsible for as the head of that mission mm -hmm. and as the head of that institution. And that's right. where you know, and, and it, you know, then people will say, you know, you're going to get a lot of flack. And it's, you know, at that point, what does courage go? Right. Okay, I got to write a bunch of editorials. All right, I'll do it. Mm -hmm. You know, you just have to, you know, you, you just, uh, you know, that's the best way to, right. to be. You, and you, and, and, and moral courage is really important. Right, and if you're going to fail or go down, you're going to go down because you did what you believe was the right thing to do, not yeah. because you compromised. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Exactly. Okay, you also talk about this. I thought it was interesting in, in the survey we had about Gallup. It says religious con conversion is frequently central to moral conversion. Uh, and we talk yep. about the reasons why not, but that's part of the problem, too. We're having this problem with morality. At the same time, we're seeing that. We're seeing the diminution in the number of people, not only who believe in God, but are going to church. So they're directly related, right? Absolutely. I mean, people who have great religious sensibility also, um, you know, because what, you know, most religions, I know there are some New Age things and so forth that they don't have any morality connected with them. But by and large, uh, most religions do have a morality connected with them. And of course, those eight, uh, you know, general principles of morality that C.S. Lewis talks about in the appendix to his uh, book, Abolition of Man, 
Um, those eight principles are normally, you know, uh, some general principles. But, for example, Christianity mm -hmm. has a very large number of moral principles attached to it. So the, the first thing is if you're a religious person, you're trying to please God. You're grateful to God for what you have. You're uh, hoping in God. You believe not only in eternal life for yourself, but you're helping others to reach that same goal of eternal life because that is their ultimate dignity. That is is what they are born into the world for and of course the idea of doing as much good as you can in this life before you move into eternity that's just a normal part uh, of the Christian religion mm -hmm. now if you take that and you're, you're a religious person and you're a seriously religious person you're gonna be moral so there's no doubt much strength of morality comes from being religious. But then there was this Parbatia study, very interesting. It was done in the uh, Journal of Business Ethics, of all things. But uh, this fellow Par Parbatia actually he had a, um, a, a very good longitudinal um, uh, survey that showed that people who were religiously oriented when it came to the moment of decision. Mm -hmm. So in other words, I've got to, you know, make a decision. Am I going to go here and go to the edge of unethical conduct or am I going to go here away from it? Mm -hmm. What am I going to do? Religious people very frequently will move in the direction of the ethical thing. If you don't have that religious conviction, you are much less likely to do so. So on two scores, you're going to get a real mo boost for moral conduct. The first is you're going to get a boost to give morality. Uh, you're not going to rationalize away morality. You're much more likely to be what it might be called a principle-based person mm -hmm. as a religious person and not to rationalize things off and just say, oh, this doesn't matter. I'm not harming anybody. Because, of course, the evil spirit mm -hmm. comes with every rationalization imaginable uh, to, uh, to make you feel just fine right. in doing something you know to be wrong. And so conscience by itself uh, needs that support of religion. Uh, they were meant to go hand in hand. So first of all, you know, religion is going to give you those principles. Uh, religion is going to give you the conviction and motivation to do those principles because it's the will of God whom you love. And then finally, thirdly, um, it, when it comes time to the moment of decision, you're likely to move in the direction of the moral rather than uh, the uh, immoral. And so in a way, you get this huge boost um, in, of more conduct from your religion, and your conscience gets a, uh, a major, major mm -hmm. support from religion. So uh, I think in a way these are the uh, important um, uh, things that will lead, uh, as I've said before a million times, to emotional health too. Because when you're being religious and you're being moral, your emotional health scores go way, way up. I'm not kidding you. Mm -hmm. We're talking about you know, triple and double. And <clears throat> we can see that people who don't have the same religion and morality have double and triple the amount of depression, anxiety, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Well, let me ask you in the, in, the, in the closing minute we've got here, so why do you think that's not obvious to people and then spurs them to have that religious connection? I just think people uh, look for what they want to hear. Okay. And if they say, you know... 
I, I, I don't really want to be responsible to a moral code. I don't really want to go to church on Sundays. I, I don't, you know, I'm a football kind of a guy. Mm -hmm. I remember, you know, I was uh, over at the Harvard Div School taking, a, uh, you know, some courses, uh, you know, there. And, and, uh, and uh, one of the courses I was taking, uh, Next Jesus course, uh, sitting next to a guy. Um, and uh, he was actually a seminarian for another, um, I wasn't a Catholic seminarian, mm. uh, but uh, anyway, um, he says, he, he tells me this. Mm. He says, uh, you know, I think I, I probably better start going to church on Sunday. I said, well, well wait a minute, you, you, you're kind of in seminary training? And he goes, yeah. I said, you don't go to church on Sunday? He goes, no, he says, I got a real problem. He says, the New York Times comes in and it's put there right on my, uh, on my um, you know, uh, doorstep. And right. I just start reading it. And I just, I can't stop myself. I just got to go to the next section and the next section. And the next thing you know, it's 5 o'clock and I haven't gone to church services. I think to myself, oh boy, well, if that can happen to a seminarian, it right. can happen to anybody. And, and I think it's what I call the, the you know, the, the acedia slippage. Right. You know, eventually, you know, you just want to do something else much more. You, you just don't feel like going to church. Absolutely. You just, you know, don't want to be responsible. it gets easier and easier. Somewhere. And unfortunately, yep, right. we are just out of time this week, Father. So oh. if you'll give us your uh, blessing, that would be great. Very good. And bow your heads and pray for God's blessing. And may the Lord of all wisdom and, and of all love and consolation send his spirit down upon you to support you in your drive toward morality, to support you in your drive to make this world a better place, to support you in your drive to transform your hearts into the heart of Christ so that you might be true leaders in this religion and, of course, end up in the kingdom of heaven heaven where Christ in his joy will support you forever in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Father. We shall see you next week and we'll see all of you next week as well. Remember, Father's books are available through Eat Up a General Religious Catalog. Next week, we'll continue talking about Satan as he customizes his temptations. Bookmark How the Angels Got Their Wings, a wonderful children's book by Anthony DiStefano. And the World Meeting of Families in Rome, now through Sunday. Highlights of the show, each day's events. You see them Thursday, Friday, Saturday, each night at 10 p.m. Eastern. And check out our website for highlights as well. And I'm Doug Keck. We'll see you next time in Father Spitzer's Universe. Be there.